Hi, I'm Aileen Ryan, and I'm the newly appointed president and CEO of the RAIN Alliance. There's a huge and growing demand and acceptance for RAIN RFID. I'm Catherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. Aileen, it's so nice to have you on the podcast. Hi, Kath. How are you? I am good. And uh, you're the new CEO of the Rain Alliance. So we're going to talk about what that means for you and for the Alliance. But before we do that, what is an example of a time in which being a woman has empowered you? Thanks for that question. So I would have to say in general, my view is that being a woman in technology is not really an advantage. And yes, there's more and more focus now on diversity, but there's a, a really long way to go and significant challenges remain, including unconscious bias and lack of role models, to name just two. When when I was younger, I was frequently asked to take the meeting notes or I was mistaken for someone in a HR or a marketing role. And I wasn't confident enough in myself to say no to some of the office housekeeping roles that seemed to be expected of me, like watering the plants or organizing team get togethers and stuff. And there's very current research that shows that women still take on more of those tasks than men do. So even though now I'm personally more inclined to just say no to those things, there's a lot of evidence that, that shows that in general, women are still carrying the lion's share of that burden. But for me, with now many years, too many years experience under my belt and, and the confidence that comes with that, I do feel empowered to, to call out discrimination, whether that's conscious or unconscious, wherever I see it. So, for example, recently in, in a PowerPoint deck of slides, um, all of the customer that I was asked to review, all of the customer personas were represented as males. And, and I felt absolutely empowered to call out my colleagues on that and ask that they change some of those images and, and examples. There's plenty of evidence showing that commitment to diversity and equity and inclusion is key to building extraordinary teams. And I would say because I'm a woman, I feel empowered to drive that message somehow I, I think it is easier for a woman, but that should not mean that women are responsible for driving that change. I, you know, I see lots of companies hiring diversity specialists and they're pretty much all women. And depressingly, that's it's a bit of a cliche, really, isn't it? That it, it's a kind of like greenwashing. So if we hire a woman into this diversity role, the world will believe that we're taking the topic seriously. So, I, you know, whilst... I do feel empowered to drive that message. I'm also conscious that it shouldn't be a requirement that a woman drives that message. Your answer touched on so many complicated nuances about mm -hmm. this conversation that in a lot of ways we don't get into in much detail on this podcast because at the end of the day, it's a tech podcast, but mm -hmm. you touched on a lot of things I'm personally and previously professionally interested in. I used to study this sort of thing, um, not technology, but more about uh, diversity and inclusion. And first of all, you know, what you said about 
being given housekeeping tasks. That is such a, a frustrating conversation because it brings up two things. One, that it's frustrating. We It gets assumed that we're responsible for those because we're women. But at the same time, it is also acknowledging that we don't respect those roles very much either, including mm-hmm. the women who don't want to be put in that box. And so it becomes very challenging to talk about. It's like, I don't want you to assume I need to run all the, or I need to organize all these meetings. But at the end of the day, those are the people who make the world run. So right. it's like, I don't want to disrespect the women who make that happen, but that's also not what I'm trying to do. So that's, it's hard to talk about that. Absolutely. I mean, even what you said about, it's not our job to, to fix the problem. Uh, but we tend to be the ones who are interested in fixing the problem. So yeah. like I started this podcast yeah, a man might not start this podcast, but then there's a question of should a man start this podcast? So it's it's just challenging. And I think men who have good intentions are trying to get involved. And I think they don't always know how to. And is it our job to teach them how to? I'm not sure. So. Yeah, I agree. It's a it is a hugely complex topic. And um and I you know I do think that there is very positive change happening and and that's a really good thing and I am you know really optimistic that for my kids generation they will you know hopefully be thankful that people like us drove that change and and shouldered that that challenge yeah absolutely and I also don't typically ask too many questions about the woman thing here but since you are a ceo um and again not to discredit women or other people in any other role (laughs) in this world they're all important but it would be a bit silly of me not to maybe ask you about some key takeaways you can share about your journey since being a female ceo in the tech space is very rare um, and since it's such, it's, is a new position for you, you'd, some of this might be fresh in your mind. So what can you share with us, um, about that journey and maybe, you know, what advice you have for other women who are looking, not necessarily to be CEO, but to advance their career? Yeah. So you, you know, you talked about a, a number of incredible males that are, very open and willing to be helpful to women on on their journey in the technical domain and and every domain and and so my first takeaway or piece of advice is is to to find your allies and champions and those don't have to be women at all in fact you know I've been incredibly lucky during my career to have had great mentors and champions and allies who believed in me and my abilities and offered me opportunities and supported me as I progressed into more and more senior roles. So so the first piece of advice really is around, you know, scanning your network for those amazing people who who will have your back and who are willing to help you and willing to put you forward and willing to maybe put their own professional reputation at stake to be your champion. And, And those people absolutely exist and if you can find them like just seize them and embrace them as much as you can um the the second thing is is maybe a little contradictory when I say it first so it's it's stand up for yourself but choose your battles now what what do I mean by that so 
you don't want to be a pushover. If you want something, ask for it. Be clear and be transparent. Don't beat about the bush. You know, what's what's the worst that can happen? So, okay, somebody might say no. Somebody might think you're pushy or aggressive or, you know, those words that sometimes get associated with women who, who ask for what they want. But but so what, right? Who cares if if people label you with those words? There's lots of research, again, that men are much more forthcoming in asking for what they want, a promotion, a pay rise, a business trip, a place on a committee. And if you don't ask, people may assume you're not interested. So I think, you know, standing up for yourself and being clear about what you want is really important. But on the other hand, the pick your battles bit is there are times when you just realize that there's kind of nothing to be gained by by going against the grain. And, and so thinking about this one example is I was I was staying in a, a hotel in a developing country a few years ago on a business trip with a male colleague. And very late at night, I had a call from the hotel concierge. It actually woke me up. And, and the question that they had was, what time tomorrow morning? will Mr. XYZ like his car? And I was like, seriously, are you asking me this question? But clearly there was an assumption about our relative roles, which was very frustrating. But, you know, in that moment, I, I decided for right or wrong, there was really nothing to be gained from calling that out or having an argument or being rude, you know, and, and so I decided, okay, I'm going to be polite and, and explain that they would need to ask my colleague that question directly. And so it's not at all, you know, when I say pick your battles, it's not about accept the status quo or, or accept something that's second best, but it's about understanding and conserving your energy for the battles that you can win and, and biding your time for the best time to address other challenges. I love you applying that last piece of advice to a professional setting because I actually think picking your battles is something women are very, very naturally good at. And mm -hmm. I think that's often overlooked and not understood about the experience of being a woman. Uh, I think of more serious instances that have come up, um, you know, with women coming forward about men in high, you know, position of high power uh mistreating them and there are people like oh well how do we know this is true how they're not how are, do we know they're not exaggerating and women experience minor things like you you mentioned um your story all the time meaning mm -hmm. when women do come forward about something or do stand up in a professional setting like this isn't right or this is discriminatory usually we mean it because mm -hmm. we're actually very good at assessing <laughs> when something is serious enough to yeah. talk about and when it's not, because on a daily basis, we experience a lot of things that we say, you know what, I'm going to let that one go. Yeah. And so I, I like you applying that to a professional setting, because I think we do it in our day to day lives all the time. And it can be really helpful, I think, for some women to realize, oh, I am good at this skill. I'm good at knowing when to, to put my foot down and actually when to let it go. All right. Now we're officially transitioning to the technology part. Okay. <laughs> so what are some of your short term and long term goals? For the alliance now that you know you have a new position there I assume there's going to be some change in direction so yeah what can you tell us about that so to talk first about the the rain RFID market um societal changes in the last few years of of how we as a as members of society want to work and rest and play and our 
expectations and acceptance of the digital transformation that's going on around us mean that that this particular sector has enormous opportunities ahead and, and I'll talk some numbers maybe in a minute to put that into context but a great example is is how we've all seen and been somewhat impatient I would say and frustrated with the supply chain disruptions that happened during the pandemic right you can't get basic things like toilet paper for example right to take a silly to take something quite silly but and those types of disruptions are, are largely eliminated by using rain rfid technology so it's it's clear that there's a huge and growing demand and acceptance for rain rfid and and the power that that unleashes to um, our world and so to contextualize the size of the market opportunity there were almost 30 billion uh, RFID tags sold in 2021. So, so that's 30 billion individual tagged items in, in the year 2021. And that's expected to grow at a compound growth rate, annual growth rate, rate of 25%. So 80 billion tags is the projection for 2026. So it's a really phenomenal opportunity. And to come back to your question, my short-term and long-term goals are really the same. They're about helping our members be positioned to seize that opportunity. So how can they ensure that they have the right products with the correct positioning for the right place or the right market sector in this context? So and so so I think that kind of broadly answers your questions, but to to pinpoint maybe on something I'm personally passionate about, because there are there's a phenomenally wide range of use cases that this technology can enable. Well, one of my personal passions is the area of sustainability and, and the opportunity for RAIN RFID to be, sounds again cliched, but a force for the good of our planet. And that's one of the reasons why I accepted this role. So better control of our supply chains, our inventory, the ability to manage products from the cradle to the grave, means that we can minimize waste and maximize things like correct recycling or recovery of critical resources at the end of a product's life. So alongside other markets where which are fairly well established, um, as a long-term goal, I personally want to see really significant progress in the sustainability space. Interesting. Yeah. So you you definitely talk a lot about sustainability, and I totally see how that could play out. Um, but I was also hoping you could provide maybe more information about who is using this technology and for what more specifically. I know you mentioned a few examples there, but I was hoping we could get a bit you know more granular into that. Sure. So Rain RFID is a wireless technology that connects as I said, billions of, of everyday items to the internet. So, and, and by doing so, it enables businesses and consumers to do some fairly basic things like identify an item, locate an item, authenticate or, or engage with the item. And, and so, and there are kind of three layers, I suppose, broadly to how these systems work. There are uh, RFID tags that are attached to or sometimes embedded in items, depending on the specific item in question. Then there are readers which transmit a signal um, that says, you know, who's out there, right? Tell tell me if you're a, an RFID tag that intercepts my signal, right? So 
So the readers have antennae and they can be either small and portable, so handheld readers, which today is, is a larger part of the reader market, or they can be um, fixed readers, which is the faster growing segment of the reader market. And those readers collect data from all of the RAIN RFID tags in its in its area. Um, and then that data gets handled by software applications. So those are the, the three layers, right? And who uses it? Well, basically anyone who wants to know what things are in their vicinity and what, you know, what's the status of those things or, or some data associated with those things. And thing is, is a very deliberately vague term because it could literally be pretty much anything, right? So, so use cases that we see um, are uh, inventory in retail. So for clothing items or footwear, that's a pretty well-established marketplace. And we see over the last couple of years that companies um, who had good control of their inventory and their supply chain were the ones who did best through the kind of enforced changes that the pandemic placed on our Western societies in particular. Um, su supply chain management, and again, this is, you know, we, we saw a lot of supply chains break down and we saw really increased focus on supply chains where like normal consumers became aware of supply chain issues, which almost never happens, right? Except maybe I could remember some examples where a particular kid's toy coming up to Christmas was no longer available because of supply chain issues. But in general, it hasn't been something that a normal person would talk about. But, you know, through the pandemic, we saw lots of things that were not getting delivered fast enough. And, and importantly, we also saw the criticality of supply chain management for things like vaccines. So, you know, knowing what quantities were being delivered to what locations and making sure that they were correctly managed and maintained at certain temperatures where that was required. You know, that, that whole kind of end-to-end -end supply chain was a really important aspect of our lives and, and kind of raised awareness of supply chain management to, to everybody. Um, I mentioned e-commerce and, and digital enablement for things like um, stores where people could no longer go shopping and all the shopping be, went moved to, to be you know, an online experience. And again, so people who were able to understand what was in their warehouses, in different locations and be able to direct those to the right consumer at the right time. Um, they're the ones who who did best out of out of the pandemic experience. Any kind of logistics, so um, suitcases in airports, for example. Right, there's I can't can't remember the the number, but there's a an unbelievably huge number of suitcases get lost every year in airports. And the cost associated with finding those suitcases and reuniting them with their owners is enormous. right? And so minimizing that occurrence is actually hugely beneficial for airlines. It sounds like a bit of a mundane um, use case, but it, it's actually really powerful. And, and we also see um, logistics companies who are delivering parcels again, you know, with e-commerce, e the number of parcels in, in 
transit throughout the world is is uh, you know phenomenal. We see use cases like um, enabling smart road services, so tolls and um, parking access and those kind of things related to vehicles. There, you know, that so the number of use cases is is really, you know, all, almost limitless, and 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 some of them are well established some of them are emerging but understood and some of them are newer so so if we if i think about looking ahead and what can we expect in the future i already mentioned sustainability and and minimizing waste and that's something that i'm personally very interested in um and that's in a number of sectors like um quick serve restaurants so being able to understand which shipments of food have which expiry dates so that you're making sure you're prioritizing what what the order in which you use things right so that you um are, are not just inadvertently causing waste because something slips through the net and has expired and, and needs to be destroyed it's also that kind of theme is also important in um apparel and uh, and, and footwear where the concept of tagging tagging something at source so that you're able to manage it right through its whole life cycle um, and make sure that it's either recycled or repurposed at its end of life. And, and also um, many applications where there are like limited resources being used. So things like car batteries for our, you know, the the... Um, very significant movement towards electric vehicles that's starting to happen now, you know, making sure that those batteries which contain very precious and limited natural resources that we are, you know, extracting from the planet and, and using them, but making sure that they are um, repurposed or, or reused appropriately when it comes to the end of their useful life in the vehicle, but they can be used for other things. So, um, so I, I think, you know, we're, as I said, we have a lot of use cases that are already well understood and well established, and then a lot of emerging use cases too. Yeah, absolutely. And just hearing you explain all the ways this technology is being used and can be used, it sounds like it's a pretty integral part of our connected future in the sense that, so I you know, I write about 5G a lot. I write about Wi-Fi a lot. I, so that means I'm writing about connected cars, smart cities, all these sorts of things, um, IoT in, in enterprise. And it kind of sounds like this technology is going to be super necessary to keeping all of those <laughs> components in these connected ecosystems accounted for. Um, so I don't know if there's anything else you can kind of add to how you're seeing this technology work within a larger conversation of where we're all all headed yeah I, I think you used the term there the internet of things and that's exactly what is enabled by this technology and and really I think um when I speak with with friends of mine who who are asking me like so so this company that you've joined what is it that what what is it that they do and I kind of explain well actually it's all around you already, but you don't even know it, right? And and lots of 
things that we take for granted are enabled by this, you know, invisible technology. But that's the beauty of it, right? We we as consumers don't need to be aware of how these things work. We just know that things are getting better, getting easier, get you know, and and I think that's the beauty of the technology. And and if we do it right, unfortunately, for it means that it should be more and more invisible, right? A crucial but invisible element of our lives. Totally. Aileen, this has been a great conversation. So thank you so much for joining me. Very welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to meet you. Well, Technically is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com.